sometimes, once in a while, conflict will come knocking at your door, right? How many of you dads in this room this morning can relate to something similar to that? I pray that you shake your head no. But the reality of it is, is when you belong to a family, there's going to be moments of conflict that come up. I don't think there's many of us that would, uh, would balk at, what's his name, Phoenix there? Whatever that guy was. I mean, I have a daughter, and I'm going to tell you, I, I try to be open-minded, but man, that door shut kind of slow for me. I've I got to be honest. But when it comes to that stuff, it's easy for me as a dad to say, well, I'm just going to slam the door and that's going to be it. When that dad turns around, who does he have to face? The daughter. And as awesome as Phoenix may be, there's going to be conflict that comes. Because as we know, things don't always happen the way that they do in fairy tales and storybook land. Is easy. And so what happens is, is there's these conflicts. And maybe some of you have gone through these with your family, maybe your children, your parents, your loved ones, whatever. Maybe some of you right now are in one of those moments where you, you haven't spoken to certain people in your family for years because somebody brought the wrong fork to Thanksgiving and somebody cooked the turkey wrong. And it's, and it's just ridiculous because conflict happens. And as funny and as, as much as we can joke about it, the reality of it is conflict hurts, Right? It's painful. And, and I'm going to tell you, it's coming. For those of you that are newly married, you've already experienced this. <laughs> Conflict happens. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about three things. We're going to talk about how we as, as believers are supposed to react to conflict. We're going to talk about how we're to confront conflict. And we're going to talk about how we're to ask for resolution or resolve conflict. But before we do, why don't we go ahead and pray, and then I want to share a quick story with you. Father, we love you, and we thank you for the opportunity we have this morning to worship you, that we could freely come here and sing out loud and praise you. And we pray, God, that you would be with us. Speak to our hearts. Speak to us in the way that we need to be spoken to, God. We know that you have a way of sharing with us exactly what we need to hear from you. And so give us ears to hear your words this morning. And may my words be your words, Lord Jesus. Let me not speak anything that's not from you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So when I was a kid, between like around 12, 13, 14, I I, I can't remember the exact age. But there was this movement going through the city of Pittsburgh. There was a guy named Mario Lemieux who came to town, and hockey was huge. And so I was a hockey player growing up, but there was this movement going through hockey that they wanted to make it a safer game. And so what they did is they instituted this new rule that within a, within a year or two, everybody playing the game had to now wear what's called a full face shield. And, and you had to put this full cage over your face uh, to protect your face. You know how everybody thinks of hockey players, you think of no teeth, right? Well, I remember I was getting ready for a game, I was about to leave, and my mom comes downstairs, and she says, Jamie, I got you a present. <laughs> oh, really? Okay, great. What is it? It's a new helmet with a full face shield on it. And I thought to myself, thanks a lot. If anybody's ever played ice hockey in here, you know that there's these metal bars that come right down over your eyes, and, and, it, and they're horrible. And, and most hockey players hate them. All hockey players hate them. Real hockey players hate them. And so what I did that night was I simply put it in my hockey bag, put on my old helmet, and went out. And wouldn't you know it, I dove in front of a slap shot right in front of the net, only to have the man's stick meet my face. And I shattered the whole front of my face, losing all my teeth. It's a beautiful moment. 
Beautiful moment. You want to talk about conflict? Going home and having to tell your mom why you look like Jack Lambert all of a sudden when she bought you a new hockey mask. That's conflict. That's not the point. The point is this. I lost all my teeth. I had a long, extensive surgery. This is a very long story made really short. I had all kinds of surgeries to to redo my face, to replace my gum, to put teeth back in my face. And you would never know, would you? (laughs) And so anyway, so I have all this work done. And as I'm growing older, you know, I always had these little pains in my mouth. These little pains that they would just show up from time to time. And and in my heart, I'm going, you know what, there's something there, but I'll just ignore it. It'll be fine. I'll let it go. It'll go away. And and, and for a period of time, the, the pain would go away. And as I got older and older, the pain would become more intense. It would become more severe. And then it would go away again. Until about, I don't know, a few years ago. Um... I was a pastor, and, and, I, and I was working at my church, and I, and I started to get sick at my stomach. And then I, and then I started to get dizzy. And then I, would, then I started to, like, I was having all kinds of issues where I would black out walking up a flight of steps. I was, I was sick. There was something going on. And so I went to the doctors, and, and they looked at my gastrointestinal, I can't even say the words. You know what I'm talking about, this area. They looked at this area. And then they said, everything's fine there. Then they looked at my mind, and a lot of you are going to disagree with this, but they said it was okay too. And so in my heart of hearts, I'm thinking, there's got to be something going on. I'm sick, my face hurts, my jaw cracks, and I'm miserable. So I go to a routine dentist appointment, and the dentist looks at me and goes, oh boy, you're in trouble. What do you mean I'm in trouble? And so he makes a couple phone calls. The next thing I know, there's all these specialists coming in. My poor wife's reliving this right now. All these specialists coming in, and they're looking and poking and prodding and stabbing me, and it hurt real bad. And basically, to make a very long story short, the dentist and the doctors who are now in the room tell me, you're, 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 you could die. They said, what do you mean I could die? And they said, well, whenever you had this work done on your face, whoever the, the dentist was or the orthopedic or orthodontist guy, I forget what they said, they left some packing in your mouth. They left stuff in there and they sewed you up with this stuff inside of you. And so these little things that were in there have now turned into gangrene. And it's going to eat your face. You want to hear a bad news? Have someone tell you your face is going to be eaten. And they told me this could kill you unless we do something about it right now. So... I freaked out. I'm like, okay, well, let's do whatever you got to do. We got to get this taken care of. And my church in the day helped me, and I had this surgery, and they cleaned me all up. And to make a long story short, those little incremental pains, those little tiny things that didn't seem like a big deal along the years of my life, eventually became something so gross and so nasty that it was going to kill me. And the reason I tell you this story this morning is because in each and every one of our lives, we have these itty little bitty conflicts that happen that just seem like little skirmishes, little disagreements that sometimes we as families, we never deal with. And the reality of it is, is when we do not deal with our conflict, when we don't meet our conflict head on and and just kill the issue when we first recognizing it, it will turn into a cancer that will eat your face. It will turn into something that will kill you. And so church, listen to me. In every one of your families, there's conflict. And there's usually two reactions that we have to conflict. There's what I call the blow up. And then there's the uh, flight and flee concept. The blow up happens when, let's say, your 
Phoenix, Phoenix comes to your door, and, and let's say you're that dad, and, and your daughter's about to go on a date with Kaka. The instant reaction one father may have may be, ah, no! That's the blow-up. And I'm here to tell you that, that necessarily being angry isn't wrong, because after all, Jesus flipped over tables in the Bible in anger. Remember that? And he was sinless. So being angry is not wrong. But when we let our anger control us, and when we let it take over our emotions, that's when anger becomes wrong. Do you realize that? That let me, If you're one of those people that blows up and, and you're real emotional like that, it's okay. But maybe you need to walk away from the situation that just arose. Like, I don't think the best time, if that's a blow-up father, for him to talk to his daughter about Phoenix is going to be in the next 10 seconds. Because he may blow up all over her. He may say hurtful things or do things that he never intended. And so what I want to encourage you is, if you're one of these blow-up people, walk away for a little bit. The blow-up person is not the person I worry about, though. The person I worry about when it comes to conflict in our lives is the person that runs from it. Because that's when the conflict becomes very deadly. Because you can live your life and you have these little skirmishes and these little conflicts that don't seem like much. You let them go for a long time. And then all of a sudden you get a note from your wife and she wants a divorce. Or your kid has run away from home. Or it's Thanksgiving and you realize you haven't talked to your brother in six years. Over something ridiculous that you really can't even remember why you're fighting. We have a biblical responsibility to react to conflict in our home in a godly manner. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Philippians. We're going to be in Philippians and we're going to be in Matthew today. There's something beautiful said in Philippians 1, verse 27. It says, Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So when conflicts come knocking on your door or your daughter comes home and says she's pregnant or your son comes to you and says he's a drug addict or your husband comes to you and says I'm an alcoholic or your wife comes to you and says I'm cheating on you, those are moments where none of us would be blaming you for blowing up or for wanting to run and hide. But what the Bible's telling us is we have a responsibility as followers of Christ to react in a manner that is beneficial to the gospel. So what does that look like? We have a responsibility to react in a godly manner. We have a responsibility in those moments to clearly communicate with one another. I'm going to tell you right now, as you're talking in in, in conflicting moments, you need to make sure that you're listening to one another. One thing we tell pre-marriage counseling, when we do pre-marriage counseling, we tell these young couples, when you're speaking to each other, make sure that you're listening to what the other person is actually saying, not just thinking about what you're going to say next. You have a responsibility to act in a godly manner. So how are you going to react? You can't blow up. You can't run and hide. Because we also are called by Christ to confront conflict. When there's an issue that arrives in your family, you are called by God to deal with it. If you go to the book of Matthew, 
Jesus gives us a great example of how we're to handle confrontation, not only in our home, but as brothers and sisters in Christ. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Matthew 18. Put, your, put a little piece of paper in Philippians there, though, because we're going to go back to that as well. So how do we react? The next one is, how do we confront? Matthew 18, 15 through 17, gives us a recipe for how we're to respond in moments of conflict. When somebody has sinned against us, when somebody has messed up in your family, when someone, I'll use my family as an example, when there's an alcoholic in the family, how do you respond to that as a family? Do you just ignore that? Well, Jesus gives us a great um, thing here to follow. And, and it says this, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. So the first thing we're called to do by Christ in a moment of conflict is we're to go to the person that we're in conflict with. We're to go with them, understanding we need to clearly communicate the issue, that we need to believe the best. So we need to go to that person, we need to say, this is our issue. The Bible goes on to say, just between the two of you, and if he listens, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along, so that in every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. I'm a firm believer in interventions. I remember as a little kid going to my stepfather saying, you're an alcoholic, you can't do this, you're going to kill yourself. I went to him out of love and confronted him on that issue, but he wouldn't listen. And it wasn't until my mother, my brother, my sister, my older sister, my, my grandma, until everybody got together on the same page and we sat him down and we said, look, you're killing yourself, you're killing our family. And in a biblical way, we confronted him by going with a couple of us. See, Jesus is a fan of us attacking confrontation head on. He's a big fan of us, of manning up and, and going to one another one-on-one -on -one and saying, look, we've got an issue, we've got to deal with it. And if the issue doesn't get resolved, Jesus Christ himself is telling us, then get a couple of people to go with you in love and confront the issue. If you've got someone in your life that you need to, to have an intervention with, maybe it's drugs or an addiction of some sort, do it because Christ is telling you you have a responsibility to love one another that way. The Bible then goes on to say this. It says, If he refuses to listen to them, then tell the church. The reason why I love that is because this is talking about some of the old laws that were going on back in the Old Testament, and the church actually had a governing authority um, legally in those days. But, the but what Jesus is saying that applies to us here is, one, we go to the person one-on-one. -on -one. Two, we confront the issue with an intervention. And three, when it's over our head, we need to seek an outside help. And this is what I want to say to everybody in the room right now. That oftentimes as a, as a society, we will make statements like, I'm not going to go see a counselor or I'm not going to seek help because that's for crazy people or, or that's for people that, that are all messed up. No, you're wrong. Jesus Christ himself is telling us that when conflict is over our head, we should seek help from other people, from pastors, from preachers, from counselors. I'm going to tell you something. I talk to a counselor once in a while. Because it's helpful to me. Because there's things I don't want to share with my family that are going on in my life and in the life of the church. You know who, who, who crazy, crazy people don't talk to counselors? 
I'm going to tell you, church, if you need help with your marriage, if you've got an addiction, if, if, if you need some type of help and it's over your head, seek counselors. You've got Jared, myself, all the pastors at this church. We want to be here to help you. And if it's, we can't handle it, we know other great Christian counselors that can, that can help you in the issues that you're going on and that are going on in your life. Do not suffer alone. Do not suffer alone. Reach out for help because you are called by God to confront the issues one-on-one, to, to have interventions when, when there's conflict going on. And third, we are called to reach out and ask for help. The reality is, is things are just over our heads sometimes and God has put people in places to be able to minister to us in those ways. Is this making sense, church? We have an obligation to love one another in such a way that we're able to tell each other the hard things in life. You've heard my definition of love before, that true love is being willing to tell somebody when their breath stinks. That's funny, you can laugh, but think about it. Nobody ever wants to hear their breath stinks, but they're thankful they did, because they can put a mint in and fix the problem. And so when conflict enters, nobody wants to hear it, but the reality is they need to hear it. When there's something going on, an issue that needs to be addressed, it is the loving thing to do to say, you need help, or we need to help have some type of thing here. So you've got the confrontation. The next thing is this. We're called to bring resolution to conflict. And maybe you're that person I was talking about earlier that something's been going on in your life. Maybe it's a family issue. Maybe it's a friend. And you haven't spoken to someone over something ridiculous like a game of cards or someone brought the wrong knife to the Thanksgiving dinner table. I don't care what it is. But maybe you're that person who who hasn't gotten resolution with somebody that's hurt you. Let me share with you a parable from Jesus in Matthew 18. It's found in verse 21. Jesus just got done talking about how if a brother sins against you, you need to go and, and seek forgiveness. And there's, there's Peter. Is, he's just, I love Peter because he's always good for, for a couple more examples. Because Peter then says to Jesus, he says, well, okay, Lord, so what, if someone sins against me, how, how much should I forgive them? Seven times? Jesus says this, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began to the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents, which is a lot, was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. That's a bad day. You just got sold. The servant fell on his knees before him. He said, be patient with me, he begged. And I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and then let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, a far less amount. He grabbed him and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay you back. uh, But he refused. Instead, he went off and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed. And they went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called in the servant. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servants just as I had on you? 
And so in anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you. This is Jesus speaking. These are red letters. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. What I'm about to say first are the words of Christ. But what I'm about to say is really hard. Because some of you have been really wronged. And I'm even talking to the extent of maybe having a loved one murdered. Jesus is telling us in this passage that first off, he's, he's making a reference to heaven. Did you catch the parable? We were first forgiven. We are that middle debtor, the guy between the, serv- the master and that other servant. We have been forgiven a great debt. And what Jesus is telling us right there is we have a responsibility as people who are forgiven. We're forgiven by the blood of Jesus. When Jesus went to that cross and he died on that cross and he stretched out his arms, forgiveness was given to you for all the wrong that you have done in your life. And so when we as believers are failing to forgive one another, when we hold a grudge, you've heard me say this before and I'm going to say it again, you're saying you're better than Jesus. Because if Jesus, the Son of God, can go to a cross and offer forgiveness to all of us, then we surely should be forgiving people the things that they have done to us. And when we're not, Jesus is good enough to forgive, but we don't have to. Is that how it works? This is hard. Because some of you have had some terrible things done to you. And I'm going to tell you right now, when you are unable to forgive, when you haven't let go of that, that thing is keeping you a slave It's keeping you in bondage from becoming what God wants you to be. And listen to me, church. I am telling you from experience. I hate using myself as an example, but I hated my birth father. And until I was in ministry and I was dealing with this anger in my heart, and until I was able to forgive him and let that go, I could not grow to where God wanted me to be. And I'm going to tell you what. In my heart, I'm going, oh, sure, I can forgive my dad. I can forgive my dad. But when I was sitting next to his deathbed and I was given the opportunity to forgive him, it took me a half hour to speak one word because I didn't want to forgive him at first. He hurt me bad. I would much rather have had my revenge on the man. But I cried out to God and said, Lord, I need you to give me the strength to do this because I have been a slave to this man long enough. And I don't get this right all the time, folks. And, I, and I'm not trying to use myself as an example, but I'm telling you from experience, when you give that junk over to God, He will free you in a way that you never even began to realize was possible. When you confront the conflict in your life and you hand it over to God, and when you forgive the person that has hurt you, God is delighting. God is joyous. God is excited. Maybe there's someone in your life that's wronged you and you just can't forgive them. That type of heart, God just doesn't like. He doesn't, it's detested. You need to pray for God to give you some type of courage and strength and peace to be able to forgive because with every conflict comes a moment of resolution. Humble yourself enough. Lay your pride down. Who's going to be the first person to take the step? It should be you. It should be the believer. Seek resolution in your life. Jesus tells us that story 
to say, look, if you're my child, you, you need to forgive as, as I have forgiven you. And that was hard for the Son of God. It's going to be hard to forgive. I oftentimes think of the students that I've worked with in the past that have come to me and said, my father abused me and did this to me. You're telling me I have to forgive him? I am. I'm not telling you you have to go back and be a sucker or you have to be a doormat and be walked all over because that's not what God's calling us to. But God's calling us to heal and to forgive and to move on. Whatever that thing is in your heart or your stomach that you're thinking about right now, it's time to move on. It's time to seek forgiveness. It's time to offer forgiveness. It's time to confront the conflict and it's time to heal. The Bible tells us back in Philippians, as Jared read earlier, that if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Having the same love, being one in the Spirit and purpose, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but to the interest of others. And that's hard when it's somebody who has wronged you. But the Word of God is calling us to look to the interests of those who have wronged us. I wish it was written differently, guys. But I'm not God. If it were up to me, it would be all about revenge. I'm just that guy. But the reality of it is, is this is God's word. And he's calling us to something bigger. He's calling us to glorify him. He's calling us to be imitators of Christ. And in order to be an imitator of Christ, we have to forgive those who are spitting on us, who are beating us, who are putting us on crosses. Jesus did all that. You were forgiven. You were spared and saved from a debt that you owed. And so are those people that are hurting us. Maybe that person is your spouse. Maybe that person's a son or daughter, friend. It's time to heal from those things. Have one mind. Be unified. Look to the benefit of others. I love what it says in Philippians. 2, 5. That our attitude should be the same as Jesus Christ, who willingly laid down his pride, his agenda, and his life so that we could move past the brokenness. Amen? Father, we love you and we thank you. You are a God of reconciliation. Help us, Lord, to keep calm and to carry on. Help us in those moments of conflict to to not be afraid to to react in a godly way. Help us to not react in our flesh. Help us to not just simply run and hide, but help us to confront the issues in our lives because, Lord, if we don't take care of the small issues, they will turn into deadly issues later. God, if we're the ones committing the issue, help us to not be so stubborn or help us with our pride or whatever it is, God. God, we pray also that you would help us to find healing because you are a God of reconciliation. So take a moment right now. Maybe there's somebody that you need to forgive. 
Maybe there's somebody that you need to ask for forgiveness from. Take a moment now and just lift that person to God. Or ask God to give you the strength to confront the issue. Lord God, with these issues in our lives, it's so easy for us. We could become angry. We could become bitter. But I pray, God, you would help us in this moment now to hand these things to you and for us to be able to say that it is well.